Would you join me in praying uh, that God would bless his word to us today? Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would open not just your word to us this morning, but that you would open our eyes so that we can see and that you would open our ears so that we can hear. By the power of your spirit, teach us what we need to know this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's start off by imagining something for a moment. Imagine that you are surrounded by a darkness that is so thick and heavy that it wraps itself all around you like a blanket, like the thickest blanket that you've ever experienced. It covers your eyes like a blindfold. Not a single particle of light can penetrate this darkness, can pierce through and be received by your eyes. If we were in a darkness like that, it wouldn't matter if you had perfect eyes, if you had better than 20-20 vision, if you, uh, if you could set records for how, the distance that you could see or the clarity with which you see, because eyes without light are absolutely useless. That kind of darkness is something like what it would be like if God had decided not to make himself known. It might actually be the most amazing thing about the God of the Bible. We know that the the God who made the universe knows everything. He's able to do anything, and he's always present. But perhaps the most incredible thing about him is that he wants us, his creation, to know him. He wants us to know who he is, what he's like, what he loves, what he does, and what he will ultimately do. And he puts a shocking amount of effort into making sure that we can know him. There are, there are sort of three main ways, three media, if you will, that God uses to communicate to us about himself. Those three main ways are these. The first is his creation. We see his wisdom, his beauty, his love uh, in, in all of creation, from the atoms to the oceans and from ants to owls. Creation is absolutely miraculous. The second way God communicates about himself is through his word. For centuries, the Spirit of God has supervised, invested in, protected, and preserved God's written communication to his people. The word of God is absolutely miraculous. The third way that God tells us about himself, and this is the one that our psalm today is going to focus on. The third way God tells us about himself is through history. The whole history of the world tells us the story of the gospel, but especially the history of God's people, which is centered on the one Savior, Jesus Christ. The entire history of God's people beforehand leads up to the coming of Christ, and the entire history since then is echoing his presence with us, and it is anticipating his promised return. The history of God's people throughout all ages, past, present, and future, is absolutely miraculous. So this summer, as we look at the Psalms, uh, have you ever noticed how important those three ways of communication are in the Psalms? Nearly every single Psalm, and there are 150 of them, nearly every single Psalm includes something about either God's creation, God's word, or his history. Isn't that interesting? The heavens declare the glory of God, says Psalm 19. The voice of the stars testifies about him throughout the entire earth. And Psalm 8 tells us that all creation proclaims his majestic name. 
That's the creation. And, but then also Psalm 19 says, the word of God is perfect and sure and right. It revives our souls. It gives us wisdom and brings us joy. Psalm 119 adds, your word is a lamp to our feet and our light to our path. When we hide it in our heart, we, we learn the way of flourishing and peace. So many psalms speak to how God communicates himself through creation and through his word. But here in Psalm 106, we find one of the, the several historical psalms which testify about how God has, has revealed himself in the life of his people in time and in space. So let's read from Psalm 106 together. It's, part of it is printed here in the bulletin. Read with me beginning at verse 1. Praise the Lord. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O oh Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. But they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. And yet he saved them for his sake, his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as, though a de- as through a desert. So he saved them from the land of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, and not one of them was left. And then they believed his words, and they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works and did not wait for his counsel pause for a moment. We skipped over the middle of the psalm really simply for the sake of space in the bulletin. It's kind of a longish one. It would take another two pages to print the whole thing. But if you have it in your Bible in front of you, you can kind of skim through it. Basically, the middle part of the story recounts the story of what happened in the wilderness after God brought his people out of Egypt, after he rescued them from the place of slavery and death. Even though he had just saved them from that, that land of death, in a stunning and miraculous way, as recounted here in verses, uh, verses uh, nine, uh, 7 and following. Even though he had just done that, their response was to complain, complain about him, to rebel against him, to worship other gods. And in the psalm, in the, the middle part of the psalm, we see that they even sacrificed their own children to other gods. So over and over again, it just recounts story after story after story of Israel's forgetfulness and rebellion. Over and over again, they did these things. And each time, God disciplined them. But he did not abandon them. So let's pick it up at verse 39. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. And he gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. And for the sake 
For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. So what we have in Psalm 106 is a story of repeated, persistent lack of faith. It is nonstop forgetfulness, inconsistency, disobedience, discontent, and idolatry. And it's a tragic story because this psalm was written to the people of God while they were in exile, taken away from their land and carried off into Babylon. In part, it was written to remind them how they got there. Remember, do you, remember how, do you know why you're here? Because of this. This is the story, right? But it was also written to reassure them. And so let's look, uh, let's consider it a little more carefully. Here's an outline of their unfaithfulness as the psalm describes it. Just kind of brief sketch. Forgetfulness in Egypt. Rebellion by the sea. Craving in the wilderness. Jealousy of Moses and Aaron. The calf at Horeb. They despised the promised land. They worshipped Baal Peor. They complained at Meribah. They mixed with the nations. And they even sacrificed their own children. And this is the pattern throughout all their history. Israel walked away from God. And so God brought them under his restoring discipline. He disciplined them, but he did not abandon them. His consistent discipline was one of restoration, not rejection. That's the story that Psalm 106 is telling from beginning to end. It's, it's, it's almost tedious if you read straight through it because it's just the same thing again and again and again. What should we learn from this psalm? Today we'll learn two things. First, we need to learn some things from Israel's actions. And then second, we need to learn some things from God's response. So the first thing, Israel's actions. They fall into three main categories. Number one is that Israel forgot. The word forgetting comes up several times in this psalm. They forgot God's authority. His right as their creator and provider to instruct and lead them. They forgot God's character. That he is right and true and good. And therefore what he commands is also right and true and good. They forgot God's actions in the past. His faithfulness his kindness and love toward them. Even though they had rebelled against him over and over, he continually restored them and did not reject them. Israel forgot, and we do the same thing. We forget all the time. We forget God's authority. We think that we can negotiate with him as equals. We say to the God who knows everything, we say, yeah, well, I think this. I think that. And we say to the, to the God who, who created us and provides for us, we tell him, you can do this with me and my life, but you may not do that. We forget God's character. We wonder whether he's betraying us, whether he has led us into a trap, or whether he's destroying us. We forget that he is right and true and good. And what he does and where he brings us and what he, what he, what he does in our lives is right and true and good too. 
We forget God's actions in the past. We forget the stories of faithfulness and kindness uh, in our own life. His love toward us manifested in our own personal histories. We remember his mercies for five minutes and then they are gone. But when he, had, when he does something we don't like, we remember that for a long time. Matthew Henry wrote, God is distrusted because his favors are not remembered. We are a forgetful people. When it comes to forgetting, we're, we're no better than Israel. And we need God's restoring discipline just as much as they did. So the first thing about Israel is that they forgot. The second category of their actions is that even when they remembered, they rebelled. When God led them somewhere they didn't like or told them to do something they didn't want to do, they shook their fists or at least shrugged their shoulders and turned away and, and did what they wanted. And all along the way, God warned them, I am leading you out of a land of slavery and death into a place of true life. Don't you want to go, don't you want to go there? Why would you want to go back there? Don't you want to, let's move forward, not backward. But they didn't like God's leadership. And so over and over again, they decided to choose their own way. Israel rebelled. We do the same. When God leads us to a place that is uncomfortable, or when he tells us to do something that is painful, our strong impulse is to turn away. He warns us like he did Israel. My way is the path of life, and your, your way might feel better at the time, but it will lead you to destruction. It's like, it's like having a, a deadly allergy to a, to a particular food. I had a friend once who, if she even got tomato juice on her, on her skin, she was, needed an EpiPen. She, if she ate a tomato, she would die. It would be like someone like that saying, but the tomato tastes so good, how can I not eat it? And God's warning them, don't eat the tomato, you will die. But, but, it, but I like it. It tastes good. That's what it's like. And when it comes to rebellion, we're, we're the same as Israel. We need God to teach us the wisdom and goodness of his ways just as much as they needed it. And here's the third and final category of ways in, you know, ways in which Israel was acting. The, th- the third category is that they were in a vicious cycle. It wasn't just that they made a mistake here and there. They're in a vicious cycle. The story of Psalm 106 is so repetitive. It's like a, it's like a treadmill or a hamster wheel. Have you ever had a hamster and it just keeps running? And it runs and runs and runs and runs. And you think you've covered, you know, in terms of motion of your feet, you've covered five miles, but you've gone nowhere, right? Israel would forget and rebel and God would discipline them, but they did it again and again and again over and over and they kept running and running. But they didn't really get anywhere and nothing really seemed to change. So in Psalm 106, the people of God have created this tragic cycle of forgetting and rebellion. And in our lives, we tend to do exactly the same thing. We, we keep going back to the same places and doing the same things and yet expecting a different outcome. We know these things are destructive. We know that they will hurt us, but we do them anyway. So the question is, how do we get off the treadmill? Will we end up like Israel in a Babylonian exile sent away from the land of God's blessing? How do we get off the treadmill? The answer really comes in some ways at the beginning of the psalm, the first few verses, but especially there at the end. Look at verse 
43 to, the, uh, to 46. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Notice this. Notice that the psalm does not end in exile. That's not the, you know, you did all these things and now you're in exile. You deserve it. Goodbye. That's not the, that's not the closing line. The closing line, the closing idea, it goes on through the exile and anticipates restoration and salvation. Even after the long history of God's people's unfaithfulness, the story does not end with their rejection. Instead, this psalm's history of God's people ends with his compassion, his remembrance, his faithfulness, his abundance, his love. So that's the second thing we need to learn from Psalm 106. First, we need to learn from Israel's actions. But more importantly, we need to learn from God's reactions, from God's response to them, to his people's failures. Verse 47, there at the end says, Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from the nations. Then we will give you thanks and glory. Praise be to the Lord our God, in verse 48, who saves his people. Do you see it? Despite their ongoing rejection of him, God continually intervenes in the lives of his people. And this psalm anticipates that he will yet again intervene and break the cycle of forgetting and rebellion. And so we learn from Psalm 106 that even though the people of God are in the midst of a rebellion that leads to exile, God will not quit on them. He will not abandon them. He is still faithful. And he will once again heal and restore them. But how does he do it? What broke the cycle for Israel? And what will break the cycles in our lives? This is how God breaks the cycle. This is how he does it. God confronts us with our sin, which leads us to confession and repentance, both of which are empowered by God. He confronts us with our sin, which which leads us to a confession and repentance, both of which are empowered by God. It's painful to be confronted with our sin, to realize that we were wrong, that we weren't just wrong, we were wrong, wrong. It's painful to realize that our way of doing things has been destructive, not only to ourselves, but to others around us, to our friends, our family, our coworkers. It's painful when we see how our shortcomings affect other people. It stings badly. I'm sure that everyone in this room can instantly remember something that we've done that makes us cringe all the way down to the bottom of our souls, that it hurts just to think about that thing I did that one time, that thing I said, and if I could go back and take it back, I would. But you never can. But breaking this, we need, we need to be confronted with our sin because breaking the cycle begins by being confronted with sin. When God convicts us, it hurts, but it's good. And we need to be confronted. But that conviction of sin should always lead us where? It doesn't just stop there. If it stops there, it's destructive. Our, our 
Conf- being confronted with our own sin should always lead us to confession. We need, we need to confess our sins for a lot of reasons, but one of which is that we're dishonest with ourselves. We are absolute experts in rationalizing our sins. I mean, we, we have a level of skill in excusing our sins that is, is unbelievable. It's somebody else's fault. What choice did I have? They deserved it after all. I mean, we can come up with a thousand different ways to minimize our own failures and make it sound like we're the ones that are being, we're the victims here. But breaking this cycle, getting off the treadmill, means hitting pause and being honest with ourselves. We need to do it. We need to confess. We need to say, this is who I really am. This is what I really do. I really do this. God help me. Cycle that we're, the cycles that we're in are broken when God confronts us with our sin, which leads to confession and repentance. Repentance is turning away from our former way of thinking, loving, and doing. It's putting down our own agenda and beginning to listen to God. He points us, he leads us, beckons to us, woos us, persuades us to follow him in the way of life. If you follow me, it will be the way of life real life. The choice before us is always whether or not we will listen to him and live or whether we will persist in our own way and wither and eventually die. The vicious cycle of forgetting and rebelling is broken when God confronts us with our sin which leads us to confession and repentance. But the key to the whole thing the key to the whole thing is that that confession and repentance are empowered by God himself. The whole thing is empowered by God himself in us. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by empowered by God. Remember the thick, terrible darkness that we imagined earlier? Now let's turn it around, 180 degrees. Imagine instead the purest, most beautiful light shining down on every tree, every mountain and lake, every person, place, and thing, everything on earth is so well illuminated that there could never be mistaking anything else ever again. That's the kind of light that's shining down. But now imagine that the eyes of every single human being are completely broken and not one flicker of light can be received by our retinas and not one of us is able to see. All of that perfect light is completely wasted in a world where no one can see. Now imagine both of these disabilities happening at once. A world completely without either light or vision. A wor- such a world would be a place of death. Nothing could survive in a world without light in a world without vision. To emerge out of that destructive darkness, two things must happen. Light must be poured out on all the earth, and our ability to receive it must be restored. And that is the history of what God is doing. That's what he's doing throughout all of human history. Across the earth, he is pouring out the the light of the knowledge of himself through creation, his word, and the events of history. And at the same time, he is actively restoring his people's vision 
and teaching them how to see again. He's teaching us. Sadly, we're awfully slow learners most days. But thanks be to God, the story of Psalm 106 teaches us that he is an awfully patient teacher. If he put up with Israel for centuries, he can put up with me for a few decades. Notice how the psalm emphasizes that over and over and over and over again. They insult and reject him. But in verse 44, nevertheless, despite everything that came before, he looked upon them in their distress and he heard their cry and he saved them yet again. And he does the same with us. It takes us all our lives to learn to see again, to believe and to follow him. But thanks be to God, he patiently, faithfully sticks to his people all the way until the very end. As he teaches us, like Israel, we can be awfully hard of heart most days. We very much prefer to define the world in our own terms, to chart our own path. And just like the people in this psalm, we are quick to worship false gods. But thanks be to God, we learn from Psalm 106 that he is an awfully good teacher. And he will not fail to persuade his people, either with his words or with his discipline, but he will, he will persuade his people. He'll even let us knock our heads against the wall for a while, if that's what it takes for us to learn to forsake our own foolishness and follow him. God's faithful goodness toward us should make us echo the words of of verses 47 and 48. Look at them again. Let's finish by looking one more time at how this psalm ends. Now remember, it's a history psalm that focuses mainly on what's happened in the past. But in verse 47, it concludes with a prayer for a more complete salvation that is yet to come. That prayer is fully answered in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. He is the one who gathers the people of God from among the nations, even us, so that we may give thanks to his holy name and glory in his praise. In the words of verse 47. And so let's finish by praying the words of Psalm 48 together. Please join me in your hearts with prayer. Blessed be the Lord our God from everlasting to everlasting. Come, Lord Jesus. Break the vicious cycles of forgetfulness and rebellion in our lives. Teach us to remember and to follow. We praise you for your patient faithfulness to your people, even to us. And with all your people everywhere, we say, Amen. Praise the Lord.